Well, the title came up, <clears throat> Grateful for a Kingdom That Cannot Be Shaken. And I'm sure you are very much aware of the fact that everything around us is shaky. Well, Hebrews chapter 12, let me introduce you to something that is not and cannot be shaken. Chapter 12, if you'll make your way there, Hebrews chapter 12. I hear the pages turning. Or some of you are waiting for the PowerPoint to get there, right? Hebrews chapter 12. This section of Scripture actually begins in verse 18. But for the sake of time, I won't read all of it, it, but I will be referring back to verses 18 through 24. But for the purpose of our reading today and speaking of an unshakable kingdom, let's begin reading in verse 25 down through verse 29. Are you ready for the reading? Say amen. Amen. All right. The Bible says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, he's speaking of a contrast, to something that happened before, which is to pick up in verse 18 down through verse 24. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but here's the contrast, but also the heavens. When he spoke from Sinai, he shook the earth. When he speaks the second time, he's going to shake heaven and earth. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And here's our encouragement for Thanksgiving week. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving. Now notice that doesn't say future tense. That we will receive. It says, let us be grateful that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, everything around us is shaky. We all know that politics are shaky. Right? And they are. As a matter of fact, we vote and we do what we can But politics are shaky, and the reason that politics are shaky is because they're built on politicians. (laughs) Some of them are not shaky. But we've also learned that a lot of them are not only shaky, but they're shady. (laughs) Right? We saw that, and no question about it. And even the best experiment of government in the history of the world has been the United States of America. That government that is the best experience and the best government in the world is still at best shaky. Now think about that. Ponder that. We know that it is human nature to be given over to greed and lust. And boy, have we ever seen such things in the United States. We see this all the time when it comes to our government, our security this morning must be in something greater and must last longer than one session of Congress. 
As a matter of fact, your security must last a lot longer than one presidential term. Whether you like the president or not, your security must be in something much, much greater than any president's term in office. Our security and security and stability cannot be in frail humanity. Real stability and real security cannot be in frail humanity, but it must be in something that is eternal and unshakable. And that's what you just read about in this text. And so the writer of Hebrews, I wish the Holy Spirit would have given us the name of the author, but I know who wrote the book of Hebrews. God. Okay? So he's going to talk to us about security and that which cannot be removed. And I appreciate Brother David leading us in the songs that we had today. This kingdom of God that we have been given or that we are receiving is unchangeable and it is unshakable and it's given to us from the one that cannot be shaken and cannot be changed. So praise God for it. Now in verse 26, he talks about a voice that shook the earth. Okay, in verse 26. And then beginning in verse, back in 18, he's talking about two mountains that represent two covenants. Now, I've preached all the way through Hebrews before, but you don't want me to do that this morning because it took me over two years to do it. And I will do that someday, but Mount Sinai represents the law, mountain. Mount Zion represents grace and or new covenant. So you've got old covenant, new covenant, and you've got that contrast in using those terms of mountains. So the writer is now going to contrast between what can be shaken and removed, Sinai, to that which cannot be shaken and cannot be removed. It is eternal, that meaning the new covenant. So old covenant versus new covenant. When God spoke at Sinai, the condition screamed unapproachable and inaccessible. Y'all remember that? If you've read your Old Testament... God says when he came down in Shekinah glory, don't approach even the hem of this mountain. If you do, what happened? In the Greek, that means necros. You're dead. All right? Even the animals could not survive that. And if you read back in verse 18, it said, in verse 21, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The man who spoke face to face with God, Moses. When God came down on Sinai, he trembled in fear. So that screamed inaccessible. God is saying, I'm inaccessible and I am unapproachable. That's what that screams. And so God in his glory was so incredibly majestic that Moses was terrified. So when he spoke from Sinai, he shook the earth. And it was an incredible manifestation of the very power and presence of God that he would speak come down to that mountain and speak, and it would literally shake the earth. Does that tell you how powerful our God is? As the earth shook with the giving of the law at Sinai, we're reminded that this God who lives and His voice is so powerful that it shakes the very earth. Now follow the text. According to this passage, the next promise is that He will shake not only earth, but He will shake, say it, the heavens. So the writer is about to tell us another time when God is going to speak, like he did on Sinai, but it's going to shake heaven and earth. What I want us to do this morning is to define what the promise is, 
and to encourage everybody in this building to be grateful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, you know, usually I preach thematically in such a way where you see the points lined out. Uh, that's not going to be the case today. Howbeit, if I was going to do that, <laughs> all right, Hebrews chapter 12 begins this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us with patience and endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. So really, this text begins with, we're all in a race if you're saved. We're running this race. And when you get to chapter 12, verse 25, really, if I was going to outline it, I would say, we will finish the race correctly as we listen to the voice of God. Why? Because, folks, listen to me. How important is it for us to listen to the Word of God? How important is it? Because that's what he's referring to. God spoke from Sinai, and he's speaking today. And I want you to know, if you're listening to me and reading that passage, you are more responsible right now than they were when they were on Sinai. When they were standing below Sinai, hearing the giving of the law, you are more responsible for what you hear today than they were. There's a lesser to greater argument in this passage of Scripture. And the lesser to greater happens to, has to do with the law versus the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're more responsible today for hearing the gospel than they ever were anywhere in the Old Testament. And God is speaking to you. The God of heaven it's, it's, as, it's as much like God is speaking if he were, Jesus were to visibly manifest himself in his presence where you could see him and he began to speak to you. That's how authoritative this book is. This is the Lord God of eternity speaking to your life. And notice how it says it. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So you need to be all ears. I know this is Thanksgiving week and you're preparing for Thanksgiving but today, you've got to be a thinker. If you're going to get this sermon, you've got to think. And you've got to listen to the Word of God. Okay? So, if you're going to finish the race, you've got to hear His voice and obey. And you've got to hear His voice and worship. Notice down there, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It's impossible for you to be a true worshiper and not listen to His voice. Right? It all begins by hearing the Word. You can't worship God any way you want to. Regardless of what the world says, you worship God according to how He's revealed Himself in His Word. He speaks to us. So, I've learned that many scholars don't agree with me in this passage of Scripture. But they're wrong, and I'm right. Okay? The general rule of thumb is that if you pull out your best five commentators and your interpretation is different from theirs, guess who's wrong? We are. It's called quality control. Now, you're a dummy if you get in the pulpit with fuzzy thinking and you don't know exactly what, in your best effort, if you don't know exactly what authorial intent is, meaning what did that author intend when he wrote that in its context, you're not a real smart preacher if you do that. You'd, rather, you'd be better off not to say anything. Okay? However, that's why preachers keep a lot of commentaries on the shelf of dead people. Because I found that found out that not a lot of modern commentators agree with me, but two that I respect more than any modern, modern commentary or commentators did agree with me. So I'm good to go, right? <laughs> All right? And one of them was John Owen, and that really delights my soul. Okay, but the best commentators, when it says God will shake 
the heavens and the earth, most of the commentators today are going to think that that's a future thing, such as the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, he's going to obliterate the world as we know it. He's going to set up an eternal reign. And, of course, it's going to be unshakable. And I'm not denying that that's not going to happen one day in the future. Okay? But I don't think that's what, the, what this is referring to. This is not exclusively referring to a future judgment. Because when this cataclysmic event occurs, it's going to remove things that were in place, and those things won't remain so that those things that are put in place will remain forever. Are you all tracking with me? So, it's critical that we know the correct interpretation of this passage of Scripture. In order for you to be grateful for that which cannot be shaken, you need to know what that is. So it's critical to the interpretation of this passage of Scripture. Again, it's Thanksgiving week. I know you're going to take it easy this coming week, but you can't today. You can't take it easy. You've got to listen. So here is what you need to know. The promise that the writer gives in Hebrews is referring to the book of Haggai. How many of you knew that? Some of you probably looked at the cross-reference and saw that. Well, you flip over with me to Haggai. Now, if you're struggling, the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. All right, Zechariah goes before it and Haggai before it. If you're really, really struggling, in my Bible, it's on page 724. All right? And Blake's even got Debbie looking it up for him because he don't know how to find Haggai. So, but anyway... All right, when you see this in the context, remember the promise. At, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now, Haggai, chapter 6, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. What a promise. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. All right, folks, what's Hebrews about in large part? Haggai what? Oh, chapter 2, verse 6. I mean, come on, folks. You only got two. You can find it in there, all right? <laughs> I mean, you only got two chapters, you know. <laughs> Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. Think! No. Yeah. Look at verse 6. Since you couldn't find it, here it is. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Notice that. I won't read it all again, but listen to this. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Again, what is Hebrews about? Lesser to... Right? Well, could anything ever compare to the temple, Solomon's temple? I mean, they're getting ready to build Herod's temple, Right? When you're in Haggai, that's what they're getting ready to do. Build the walls, build the temple. And in the mind of those people, what could ever replace the former glory of Solomon's temple? I mean, what, what ever could do that? So, 
when you, when you consider this in its context, remember, we're referring to the end of the Old Testament era and the establishment of the New Testament era, and that's portrayed in Haggai based upon the temple. So this is a Christ-centered prophecy when you get to Haggai chapter 2. It's Christ-centered. That's what it's for. Or chapter 6, if you want to say that, right? <laughs> it's a Christ-centered prophecy. Now, think of it for a moment. He was an exilic, a post-exilic prophet, meaning they've already returned from exile. That's what Haggai is. He's one of the three that's coming back out of the exile back to his homeland. There's actually three of them, and the last one would have included Ezra. Y'all have read about him, right? So in 445, there was a third and final wave that would have included Nehemiah. So the, the people have been given this promise of how great it was going to be after they returned. They're going to have this great temple. They're going to trample the nations. And when they actually get back, there's an incredible sense of disappointment. It seems that God has not come through with his promise. And you see the disappointment as you read the minor prophets like Ezra, Haggai, and Zechariah. God actually has to remind Zechariah not to despise the day of small things. He has to remind him that something is coming that is greater. So what happens? As they get there, they, be, they get real busy building the walls. And they later are supposed to get busy building the temple. However, they're so discouraged, they even delay the building of the temple. And then the second temple finally goes up. And did the people respond by saying, wow, what an awesome place. The only people that would have said that were the people who didn't see the first one. Because it didn't compare to Solomon's temple. The ones who saw the first one would have said, boy, this really stinks in comparison to the other one. So the first one was glorious and magnificent, and there's this disappointment and disillusionment, and it's heightened with the expectation of how God is actually going to fulfill this promise. There was, a, there was an expectation all the way through the minor prophets that something must be greater. And Haggai comes along with a twofold promise and purpose. He gets them to move toward building the temple. He helps put Zerubbabel in perspective because he is actually the leader at this time, but he's not even a king, he's a governor. And he's not a good one at that. He is in secession with David. He is a son of David in the sense of lineage, but he's just a governor. And expectations were down with Zerubbabel. And then you've got Joshua who is deficient as the high priest. He never enters in the fullness of the priesthood. So check this out. We have a deficient pseudo-king. He's really a governor. And we have a high priest who can't pull his weight and what he's supposed to do. Surely God can do better than this. With all the promises, right? He does do better, and he does so by giving us the Son of God. That's what this is all about, because Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he fulfilled all three of these. He's the prophet, he's the priest, and he's the king. And that's the fulfillment of all that you see in the minor prophets. You understand that the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, is the fulfillment of the entire story of the Old Testament. From Genesis all the way to Malachi, he is the fulfillment. So, he's not only the fulfillment of the prophet, priest, and king, he's also the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will, rise, I will raise it up. This temple, referring to 
not just that physical temple, but himself. He is the very temple of God. He is the true temple come down from heaven. The Bible says in John 1.14, the word was made. You know what the next word is? That word in the Greek is tabernacled. The word was made flesh and tabernacled. He pitched his tent in your backyard. Right? That's what he did. He came down from heaven. So this is a Christ-centered prophecy. Now, remember what the contrast was between the old and new covenants. The shaking of heaven and earth is something greater than the shaking that took place at Sinai. He spoke then and he shook the earth. He speaks now and he's going to shake heaven and earth. And throughout the book of Hebrews, there's this emphasis on the, something greater than Sinai. And it's the new covenant in Christ's blood. That is the something greater. What about this removal of things that can, can be shaken, folks? I believe it's totally the old covenant and all the symbolic representation of what the old covenant was and even the temple. Don't turn, but listen to nine, chapter 9, verse 8 of Hebrews. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age, meaning under the Old Covenant. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices were offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food. That stuff that ought to be removed, right? Food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation, which is now under the New Covenant. Chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent. Somebody ought to say amen. Are you tracking? Through the tent, a greater tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and cows, but by means of his own blood, thus securing our eternal redemption. God is so good, right? And I get paid to do what I'm doing, right? <laughs> to preach this book. And isn't that awesome? To see what the Word has to say to us as we track through it. Chapter 8, verse 13 speaks loudly of the new covenant as well. Listen, 8.13 says, In speaking of a new covenant, He makes the first one, The things that remain will not remain. He makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He's speaking of the Old Covenant. Chapter 7, verse 12. Listen to the word. For when there is a change, same word, obsolete. Uh, not the best translation in the ESV, that change should be done away with. Where there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So in 719, it's kind of all wrapped up. Listen to that verse. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to our God. You couldn't draw near at Sinai. Unapproachable, inaccessible. But it's different through the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood shed on Calvary for us. We draw near to God. So since Jesus has entered this world, we're going to preach on that, by the way, starting this coming next Sunday, the 27th. We're going to do five Advent candles. We're going to start with prophecy. We're going to end with a Christ candle. And you're going to get to see the Advent and understand Christ coming into this world and what that meant. 
But since Christ has entered into this world as the incarnate God, Son of God, serving as the high priest, He makes an offering of Himself, not the blood of bulls and calves and goats or any other blood, but His own blood as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And because of this radical event of His life, death, burial, and resurrection, the old has become obsolete. And it's all in Jesus Christ. So the system of priesthood, that institution of sacrifice, all the types, all the way through the Old Testament, that's obsolete. Now what God made obsolete spiritually, 30 years later, after Jesus' ascension, He makes that physically known by doing something else. What did He do? He destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. He made it absolutely impossible for the Jews to keep doing their priesthood and their sacrifices. What God did spiritually on the cross of Christ while all the lambs were being, uh, lambs were being slaughtered in the streets of Jerusalem, there was Christ hanging on the tree of Calvary, dying for our sins, and the old has become obsolete. Those sacrifices were no more required because the ultimate sacrifice did so for us. But God, what God did spiritually, He went ahead and did it physically by destroying the temple. Not one rock left upon another, not one stone. So He showed them physically what they had already learned spiritually, that there is no other way to God except through the sacrifice of the Son of God. And notice in this text, it says, We are receiving a kingdom. Not that you will receive it in the future, but you are already in the mode, if you're saved, of receiving this kingdom. And there will be a consummate, final consummate, shaking and establishing of the eternal kingdom. Yet this kingdom has already been inaugurated in the life and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're in Him today, you're in the process of, of receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And hey, as I watch TV, folks, that makes me excited. That I have a kingdom. And I'm part of a kingdom that absolutely cannot be shaken by virtue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This kingdom cannot be removed and cannot be shaken. What happened at the incarnation of Christ, meaning God becoming man and coming to this earth, and what happened on Calvary, and what happened at the empty tomb, they're the most radical events in all of human history. All of human history turns on its axis based upon the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the King. History makes no sense without that. And everybody, even lost people, have to come to grips with that. They can't even date their paper without A.D. and B.C. And there's a reason for that. Christ is at the center of it all. As a result of Christ's life, of His life, death, burial, and resurrection, John 12, 31 reminds us, that the powers of darkness have been overthrown. Can be thankful for that this morning if you're saved. According to 8.12 of Hebrews, the forgiveness of sins has been secured for us once for all. Can't you be thankful that your sins can be forgiven once for all? Think about those high priests entering into those, uh, entering in once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. S suppose you were next door to the high priest. That was going to make, go in behind the veil and make that atonement. And you heard him that night before hollering at his wife and kicking the cat, smacking his kids around. And this dude's going to go into the Holy of Holies on your behalf? Hey, that was a repetition year after year 
after year after year. He had to make atonement for his own sin before he walked in. And then he went in to make atonement for your sin. But not true with the Lamb of God. No one made, no one made any restitution or remission of sin for him because he knew no sin. And he took his perfect blood into the Holy of Holies, sprinkled it on the mercy seat in order to save you, and it never has to be repeated. Isn't that awesome? That's the kingdom that you've been given. That's the position that you have. And again, within three or four short years of the writing of this book, they'll they'll come to understand that the old covenant absolutely was done away with. Now, there's no security in that which can be shaken and removed. Is there relevance for us today? Well, folks, everything in this world, present world, is shakable. It's going to all be removed one day. To place your trust in government or politics or politicians or wealth, etc., folks, is the height of foolishness. Because all those things can be shaken. It will be like, it will be the equivalent of you putting all of your stock and faith in a structure called a temple. That's the equivalent of it. Or any pseudo-religion in this world that would put their faith in anything they would say would get them to heaven other than the Lord Jesus Christ. To put your faith and hope in anything else other than the... Remember, God spoke from Sinai. They refused His voice, and He killed every one of them in the wilderness. Y'all remember the story? They all died. Save Joshua and Caleb and the younger generation. And you're thinking, well, that was Old Testament, folks. Don't refuse his voice today. He's speaking from heaven, and it not only shakes the earth, it shakes heaven and earth. And what is he telling you today? There's there's absolutely no salvation and no way to be right with God unless it's through his Son. That is the most important thing you can ever hear in your ear, is that you can be saved through the Son of God, forgiven of your sin, given a righteousness apart from you, and full acceptability before the Father. And once it's done, it's done forever. Once for all, He made that sacrifice. So here's the... In light of that, remember, the old covenant was swept away, wasn't permanent. And folks, nothing in this world is permanent. Only the Son of God and His Word and eternal life is permanent. So put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's the application for us. Put your trust in Him. He's the only one that won't disappoint. You know, our security is in only one, and He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. My confidence is in one government, Isaiah 9. And it's the government that's going to rest upon His shoulders. Y'all ever read that? Do I need to preach Christmas sermons right now? Right? And the government shall be upon His shoulders. That's the only one I've got confidence in. Right? It's that government that will rest upon his shoulder. The truth of Christ and that message of the gospel is immovable and eternal. It's not made with human hands and it can't be swept away with created things. And if you're sitting here without Christ, you may not care much about Zechariah and Haggai and you may not care much about the book of Hebrews, but yet the reality is this morning you're trusting in something. And if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything else is shakable and immovable and it's going to go away. Folks, that's the truth of this text. If you put your confidence in any or your trust in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, it is shakable, and it's going to go away. It's going to be removed. So, would you turn and place your trust in the immovable rock, the Lord Jesus Christ? His kingdom, according to the Word of God, has no end. 
His term will never run out. He's seated at the right hand of his Father, and he's in session always. Amen? The only time that session is going to be interrupted is when he stands to his feet, and he splits the clouds, and he comes back at his second coming. That's the only time this session is going to actually be interrupted. And he's going to come back as the righteous judge to judge the living and the dead. So as the song says, On Christ the solid rock I stand. Sing it. All other ground is sinking. You sing it, but do you believe it? All other ground is absolutely sinking sand. Don't refuse the one who is speaking. Now listen, here he's going to expand his warning to the consequences. Y'all notice that? The consequences of not hearing and obeying are illustrated for us by the way the people responded under the old covenant. Y'all see that? They did not escape the judgment. But then he heightens that judgment. Please hear this. Listen to this. This phrase yet once more. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking for. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Folks, do you see the lesser to the greater? Do you see the consequences are far more severe for the ones of us today who hear the gospel 100% clear from the word and we refuse to listen and we refuse to obey? Hebrews says you're trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. Right? There's a lesser to a greater. They did not escape the consequences at Mount Sinai for refusing to listen to the voice of God. They did not take what they heard and join it with faith. God's judgment was on this group because every single one of them dropped dead in the wilderness. Because they refused to listen, they refused to obey. And again, remember this is lesser to greater argument. It goes much like... It goes like this, much more who we who turn away from the one speaking from heaven. And folks, God is speaking from heaven to you today to tell you that the Son of God came down from heaven. Him, he that knew no sin became sin for us, that you might become the very righteousness of God. So he's offering you forgiveness through the only one that can give it to you. So you have to listen and you have to obey. Amen? And the consequences of not listening and obeying are more severe than what happened to the people at Sinai when they refused to listen to the God of eternity. So we got to listen. And I say that to you passionately because, folks, this is your only hope. It's my only hope. It's our only hope, period. You're trampling underfoot greater mercy and greater grace and clearer promises than anyone given in the Old Testament. When we hear God speaking, if you refuse God speaking to you as He speaks to you through His Son, you will be worse off than those who refuse to listen to Him under the Old Covenant. And that's weighty, and that's heavy, but that's what this text says. Clearly teaches us not to refuse God speaking. As a matter of fact, punishment in hell is ultimately due to the majesty of the one who's been offended. Why would anybody deserve hell? Because of the majesty of the one you're offending by not believing him and trusting him. That's why the ramifications of hell are so difficult. That's why it's so severe. Don't magnify hell, magnify God. He's the one that's been offended. 
He's the God of glory who gave us the message of the gospel. So folks, there is so much at stake when you hear the gospel. There's so much at stake when you hear the word. And God is speaking so clearly. Come to my son and be forgiven. That's how he speaks. I will clothe you with my son's righteousness. And I will forgive your debt, past, present, future. I'll even throw your sins in the deepest part of the ocean and never remember them again. What an offer. Amen? I'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. And the way that works geographically, if you start going north, you'll eventually go south in our world. But if you start going east, you'll always go east. And he's going to remove them as far as the east is from the west to remember your sins no more. You ought to be grateful for that kingdom that cannot be shaken. You ought to be grateful for your salvation. I'll give you eternal life. I'll reconcile you. You'll be a co-heir with Christ. He offers you full pardon and 100% cleansing. This is what the gospel says. So many of us have heard this over and over and over again. And we cling to other things more than we do Christ. Some of you at First Baptist Church have heard the gospel so many times, you know it backwards and forwards. But it's never moved from the intellect to the emotive sense where you put your trust and faith in Jesus only for salvation. And you must do that in order to be saved. How you listen has eternal consequences. Every sermon you hear takes you one step closer to heaven or one step closer to hell. This is God speaking from His Word. If you reject what God is saying through His Son, it'll take you all eternity to pay the consequences for it, and that won't even be enough. That's how serious this is. Now, let me conclude this by saying, have you noticed the way that politics has become a religion? And religion has become politics. And just about everybody in this building, in some kind of way, you've succumbed to this idolatrous pull while listening to all this apocalyptic language spewed out by politicians. Even Republicans say, if we don't win it this time, it's the end of America. And we ain't got a chance. How many of you have said that? This is our last chance. Last chance. You said it. You know what? That's apocalyptic language. Like the eschaton is coming upon us and the world's going to end right before our eyes. Right? Come on, folks. Y'all awake? Right? We succumb to that kind of talking. It, it happens in every election. This is our last chance. Well, folks, the language of this is our last chance is not worthy of a church that's already triumphed in heaven. Folks, you better get your perspective right. The victory has already been won. We're not depending on the American government to do it for us. Christ Jesus sealed the deal, won the war, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you're going to win if you belong to Him. Right? you got to get your perspective right. We're marching on earth in the ultimate victory of the Son of God. That's who we are as His people. Yes, we're going to face more religious we're going to face more opposition. We're going to face difficult days. They may try to put me in jail for preaching the truth. And that'll be all right. I'll just preach the truth in jail. Whatever it takes. We know those days are coming, right? There's religious liberty concerns. And it makes you cringe when the things we know are morally right are taken away from us. Wrong becomes right, right becomes wrong, and every man does that which is right in his own eyes. That ought to hurt you as a Christian. The cultural decline that we've been talking about for years and years and years is all upon us. But we've got to ask the question, 
Who are we? you got to stop long enough as a born-again believer to ask the question, Who are we? Y'all listen to me. Who are we? Right? you got to stop and ask that question. We're not Repub- first Republicans. All right, this is going to get hairy in here. We're not first Republicans. We're not first Democrats. We're not first conservatives or progressives. We're not even first the United States of America. We're the church of the resurrected Lamb of God. Right? That's who we are. That's who we are as God's people. We are first born-again believers. And as I look at this thing, the church, we survived Nero in 70 A.D. And we've even survived the militant bands of terrorists, the sails all over this world. The church of a living God not only survives, but thrives in the midst of persecution. Why is that? Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Look, folks, those gates are not for defense, they're for offense. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We're moving forward as the people of God. So we pledge allegiance to the flag. You better believe it. I'm American born. And so are you, most of you. And we're going to pledge allegiance to the flag, but we're going to pledge an ultimate devotion and a greater allegiance to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our rallying cry is not hell to the chief. Our rallying cry is Jesus is Lord. That's our rallying cry, folks. And look, maybe Donald Trump is going to make America great again. But I'm telling you, folks, whether America's ever great again or not, we're going to give our allegiance to the kingdom of God again. Right? I don't care if America's ever great again or not. I know my kids are probably like that. My grandkids are probably like that. Our pocketbooks might like that. But in light of eternity, that's all going to burn up. Only the kingdom of God shall last forever. So we ought to be thankful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. To God be the glory. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Let's pray. <laughs> God, you're good to us, Father. And Lord, Lord, my heart is heavy today because we're so often we put our faith in things that are shakable instead of that which is unshakable. Lord, we put our faith in things that are temporal instead of eternal. And God... We know that your salvation through your Son is the only eternal treasure. And Lord, I I pray for people who are in our church and they hear the gospel over and over and over again. And Lord, they're going to be held accountable for it. The consequences of hearing and not obeying. Lord, they're huge. It's an issue of heaven or hell. God, I pray that they would not refuse your voice, the one who is speaking. Lord, That unshakable kingdom is the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, that once-for-all sacrifice. Lord, that's why you came down from heaven. The angel said to Mary, you shall bear a son, you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Lord, your word reminds us in Matthew that of your kingdom there will be no end. Lord, I pray today, first of all, for people who are lost, That they would put their faith and trust in Jesus. The one, the high priest who came down from heaven to procure their salvation. To bear their sin debt and to give them a righteousness that is apart from the law. By grace, through faith. And Lord, for our church family.
God deliver us from this apocalyptic language that we feel like the world is going to help us actually get to where we need to be or uh, we can control when the world ends. God, you control those things. You are controlling those things. Lord, your word says that the, the heart of a king is in your hand like a river and you, you, you cause it to go wherever you want it to go. Lord, it doesn't matter who the president is in that regard because you're in control. But God, we are also supposed to live morally and stand up for right. But God, ultimately, we know that your kingdom is forever. And if we're saved, we're part of an unshakable kingdom. And we thank you for it. It cannot be shaken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.